to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Oh, wait, it's an even episode, so that means I get to do the intro. Hey, Paul, how are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? Good, mate. Another week. Yes. Another week. I made it through another week. Actually, at home this week, which is kind of nice after a month-long-ish excursion. But, uh, yeah, that's so bad. bad. How about yourself? Good. Just a lot of juggling. There's a lot of different projects in the air as the financial year comes to an end. Um, I shouldn't complain too much. I have a few friends that are actually in finance here at Microsoft and I haven't seen them in two weeks. They're like locked in dungeons until they come out with the numbers. So, um, but yeah, a lot of more prep for us in terms of planning for what we're doing in the next six months and trying to make sure all the different engineering teams are aligned and where we have dependencies, they're actually agreeing to do those dependencies <laughs> as part of it. So it's been a fun few weeks of planning and bribing and influencing and you know, you know what yeah exactly and, and this time of year is always it's it's always crazy because you have the inevitable reorg or or people who switch teams and so contacts you know in a product group may or may not change and on top of that now mvp renewal is a week and a half out so it's a interesting time yeah. the dance of the dance hasn't really happened yet with all the moving yeah because um, the i think it takes until right after the discussion with your manager and what your bonus and uh, <laughs> stock compensations will be and once you've got those then it's that's when people start making moves is my experience here yeah yeah i can imagine but uh, all good all good but uh we had a, a a good show this week i think but first we'll as usual we'll cover our links and of course uh i'm leading off with my favorite azure ad um first arturo luke Lucatero, who, who we've had on the show, who we had on the show. Yes, he had a little tweet saying that there's now 15 services that will uh, participate in the uh, Azure AD managed identity process, which is which is great to see. Uh, again, for those who aren't aren't familiar, it's you do some configuration of your Azure Active Directory, and then in your code, you add some add this library and simply say, "Go get a credential," and it happens automatically without putting stuff in, in source code or or, or secrets in in code at all, which is really pretty slick. So, certainly worthwhile. And related to that, there's a blog post by um, I'm drawing a blank on this gentleman's name made made of strings.com. Um, yeah, well, my David apologies, Barkle. David Barkle. Yes, so thanks, David. Sorry, I apologize. I said your name right, but I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. And um, he's a global black belt in the in Microsoft. Oh, excellent! Yeah. yeah, so he has a blog post that talks about using a similar managed identity and key vault in inside of um, inside of uh, uh, Azure. Uh, with a uh, key vault and access policies and and putting stuff into a build pipeline, so it's really uh, some good stuff moving along in the Azure AD space. Yeah, it's definitely going to make like put the controls back in the hands of like Azure admins, I guess, in terms of the flow of data um, across APIs, and in this case, the, through API management, 
um, which is really cool. So if you haven't had a look at this stuff and you're deploying things to Azure right now, um, I would highly encourage you to do this because it will save a lot of pain with managing of secrets and kind of role-based um, access controls that you can do as a combination of this with Key Vault and API management. Yeah, I like it a lot. Good stuff. Glad to see it moving along. Also on the topic of uh, Azure and, and DevOps, uh, a, a longtime SharePoint friend, uh, Corey Roth, has a blog post uh, about how to set up CI/CD and Azure DevOps for uh, with the SPFX generator. And that's kind of a mouthful. But um, Corey's been around a long time, did a lot of search work back in the day, has done a lot of this uh, um, uh, managed or, or CI/CD type stuff. So he's got a nice in-depth blog post that's updated uh, re- recently as well to cover SPFX 1.8 and Node. Um, but a great, great step-by-step, that including the YAML of your pipeline to, to build your SPFX solutions. So have you played with these YAML files in Azure Pipelines yet? Yeah, we do a fair bit of that now with API Doctor, which is the tool that uh, we use to validate our docs because uh, our docs currently are hand-cranked pretty much. And so we have to make sure the docs are consistent across the different workloads that submit like changes. And so API Doctor has been around for a while and does like the validation that stops uh, the pr- moving into our master branch of Microsoft Graph Docs. And just recently we've put the tool into an automated pipeline using this stuff and uh it's actually been really good because we can just like pump out builds and it, it the tool used to be built by darren specter i mean he still works on it <laughs> but we have a dedicated do have a dedicated team now in Nairobi that's working on it um so shout out to george and betty uh that have been working on this stuff and uh we got to the point where it's like this isn't a one-person job anymore and although it was all in source control we really need to take it to that next level and have it so it like automatically packaged and automatically deployed and so it's it's matured a lot and it's been really good to just see that happen through the pipeline stuff yeah i i am 100 percent on board with the with the pipeline is is code that gets versioned but boy i tell you get throwing away the designer and going to this indented text file is is a step well, it's not a step. It's a leap backwards, in my opinion. I just can't, I end up creating the pipeline in in the WYSIWYG editor and clicking the copy YAML stuff and pasting yeah. it in a separate file. It's kind of crazy. But it, it used to be a lot worse. I, I'm trying. I can't even think what the syntax format was when it was VSTS or when it was TFS with this stuff. Um, that was a complete mess. Um, it it is a little bit cleaner, but yeah, you either love or hate YAML. We use YAML a lot in our docs platform for things like our table of contents file too so i'm kind of used to it now but um i definitely find people either immediately uh like wow this is so simple this is great or they're like give me back x xml and don't want to like take it out of their like clawed hands i I don't i don't object to the format so much as i object to the i have a WYSIWYG editor that lets me select folders and and choose the right options and then I have to now do this in a text file where I've lo- I don't have any IntelliSense and I mean so you have yeah. you have the designer why why can't you just use that designer yeah, with a different backing file so I'm hoping they'll get there eventually but but anyways great to see uh, uh, Corey has one you can copy paste and then modify to get started with uh, setting up for uh, SPFX stuff I think, I think Corey was one of the first guests 
ever on this podcast from way back when when I first started at Microsoft too. So it is good to see him still around five years later. Yeah, and and he was doing this for a long time before that podcast too. Um, uh, we might have to reach out and uh, try to interview. I actually saw him at the SharePoint conference, but of course we were in a bar and didn't feel like yeah recording. But not talking about work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> another another great uh, community link there. Um, next one on our list is uh, uh, our good buddy Chris O'Brien, and I, I, Chris and I chatted a lot, but again, wasn't in the didn't have a microphone uh, handy. But uh, Chris posted again about using your uh, Postman collection, so it's nice to get another. Yeah. You know, I like to say this: people who say they don't know what to blog about, and I've always guided people who asked. You know, there's nothing wrong with blogging on something that's already been done because sometimes you get a separate voice, and you can. You can understand things by hearing two different people describe the same concept in their own way. And that's how I would classify this, right? Yeah. And I think like Chris has some points that, I mean, he has a different lens of this, right? Like he's working with clients day to day and he has a team of developers working with clients day to day. And so there's things that he can add that give more context to the value of the tool rather than like what I know as being here and hearing the signals that we needed Postman. And so, you know, he was talking about in, in here that it's really good with Postman because you get to control the app registration that Postman uses to go get the access tokens. And so that means you can do on behalf of flows as well as app only. But it also, like he was pointing out, means that you can really get granular on permissions. And although Graph Explorer does have permissions there, um, it, it is a lot easier to switch permissions in and out in the AAD app registration uh, UI in portalagile.com than it is in the Graph Explorer UI for sure because um, you've got to scroll down that list there's no like searching or anything and so for like true devs that live and breathe this stuff I, I do think that Postman is that next step um, and on that note I actually spoke to the CEO of Postman on Friday which he had really good perker face on because on Monday or Tuesday when I came in I just saw they got another round of funding of think 50 million dollars and so he didn't look all that happy when i well i guess he was normal i would have expected him if he actually knew that news by then to be a lot more excited but um we he was interested in what we were doing with the graph and um i was sharing some of the feedback that i'd been getting around you know we're using a, a request to get the access token rather than using the built-in authorization settings that you can do at folder level inside of the collections and the problem I have with that is, is that when you share the collection or you export the collection, which is what we encourage at the moment, those authorization settings aren't retained. Um, and so they're looking at how they can do that. Cause I'd prefer to go to that flow um, rather than like have someone put in there, uh, use the, I think it's the password approach where you have to bake in the password and username directly into the crest, which obviously you put an environment variable in Postman, but it still means just storing usernames and passwords in environment variables inside of Postman collections. With the authorization approach, you can actually switch it so that it uses the interactive flow, um, which means that if you've got an MFA account, you can actually use um, Postman too. So we're just trying to work those things out so I can get a better place for authorization with these collections but they're, they're starting to creep up with it's not seeing the traction that graph explorer sees that's for sure <laughs> but um i think we're up to like 300 now now on those collections um in a month which is not great so if you haven't tried it please try it 
because I think you're going to like it. Yeah, well, I see. I, I understand you need to, to to get the mile numbers up there, but it, it's I wouldn't expect people are going to be clicking all over the place in Postman. I mean, it's I'm working on X, and I need to understand what that looks like, and so I may do one or two. And once I once I get a response, you know, and I copy paste, maybe I don't need to use Postman so much anymore. And in fact, yeah, in Chris's blog post on, if you scroll down at the end, he talks about a little Visual Studio Code extension where you can copy the JSON and then into the clipboard and then do paste it as a TypeScript type, and it generates the TS uh, definition for you. So again, now once I've got that, I don't need to use the Postman collection anymore. So I think I, I wouldn't expect to see uh, the same kind of numbers. That is actually really cool. I didn't realize you could do yeah, that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. How about that, right? So, again, oh, every blog post that Chris posts is basically gold. So if you, I know I said it's a lot in this show, but if you're not following him, you really yeah. should as a dad. Well, and and sometimes you need to read it more than once, right? Because again, I saw this. Oh, it's a postman. I didn't read about it, you know, because I knew about the collection. So that's great. But now, as we're prepping for this show, I scroll all the way to the bottom. It's like, hey, look at this little tidbit. So yeah, go yeah, back and visit. That's them. neat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have our typing files, but this is quite clever if you've got, if you don't want to have the entire type and you know you're only going to select certain fields and you want the type to be smaller. That's very clever. Or, or perhaps it's calling a web service that you're hosting, right? So, uh, yeah, that's right. It might not necessarily be to yeah, the graph. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, yeah. So, again, good stuff from Chris. Um, nice. The, the next link I found is uh, Stefan Bauer, who is. Uh, all things graphic design related. And uh, Stefan posted about using the Office UI Fabric Grid system inside of uh, SharePoint Framework. And so uh, I, I won't I won't profess to understand everything he said, but there's a lot of sample code in here. <laughs> um, so obviously good stuff. Uh, yeah, the uh, Office UI Fabric is uh, one of these moving targets. So it's good to see someone watching and helping us mortals understand how that works. Yeah, and Stefan does a great job with his articles as well of like using visuals to show things rather than just kind of putting code on the page. And um, I, I really like authors that do that because it makes it more of something you can read without going away and grokking and using the code. So for someone like me, I can read a bunch of people, excuse me, blogs like this and get a good idea about what what it means without going and playing too much because obviously there's a lot of content out there and I do like to try and keep rest of it but um it's great when authors add that extra bit of time to do that yes and this particular offer is author is our guest this week uh so Stefan and I tried to connect in Germany you know again it didn't happen but uh, he was gracious enough to to do a teams meeting with the two of us where we could pick his brain on all things graphic related. Uh, so uh, uh, thanks to Stefan for doing that. And and in we don't talk about this grid system so much in the interview, but we did cover uh, some stuff that he's worked on in the past around uh, the color codes and, and the PNP SPFX generator. Yeah, it's a great show. And again, he's someone that I follow for a long time on the conference circuit and, um, you know, always question why he was an MVP and it was great to see him finally get it and he's really pushed hard on this stuff and so it's it's fun to see all the all the blogging that he does on a regular basis specifically around kind of like design and um, you know 
in the show, as you'll hear, he's been using SharePoint for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it still boggles me that he was able to do what he did back then with SharePoint 2003. So um, it's a really good show. And I, I think even if you're not a SharePoint dev, that you, you can take a lot from this episode. So big thanks to Stefan. Yep. Yes, indeed. So uh, yet another uh, episode in the books here. Uh, always great to see you, uh, to, to chat, and I look forward to uh, chatting again next week. Yep. See you, buddy. Have a good one. So I'm up very early this morning. Well, not that early. I have a kid, so 7 a.m. is not that bad. But I am a bit croaky. But uh, we're here with Paul and Stefan Bauer. So thank you for joining us, Stefan. I'm assuming it's sometime in the afternoon there. Yeah, it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Thank you for having me on the show. No, you're welcome, mate. It's um, we, we saw your SPC a little bit, and I know you're off sharing some time with Paul and the rest of the crew at the European Collaboration Summit, was it? Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah it was the European Collaboration Summit in Germany, in Wiesbaden. And it was really a great event with, I guess, 2000 attendees, more or less. And yeah, it was really... So it, it's just a community organized uh, conference, but it really was really professionally organized and, and it was really a, a nice event to join there and be there as a speaker. And uh, we did on the first day, we actually had a workshop from the PMP team where we uh, give the people some beginners training on how to get started with Shepard Framework. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I I kind of had FOMO a little bit, the fear of missing out on the fact that there was a lot of tweets going on. I don't know which one of the organizers told you that you had to take a photo with the audience in the room, but um, it definitely made an impact on the you know the, just the scale of the conference, just from a outsider's perspective. So um, yeah, they did a great job of promoting it while everyone was there speaking and tweeting and stuff. So. That's great. Did what uh, session did you actually do there, Stefan? Other than the workshop, uh, other than the workshop, I had a session on above and beyond Office UI Fabric, where I explained a little bit more about web technologies that are currently used and on the web, which is many people because they're coming from a Bootstrap, uh, SharePoint framework, Office UI Fabric background, uh, maybe not so familiar with. Um, and, uh, what I showed them uh, seeing some new cool tools like CSS script or Flexbox or, um, what we also had in there, some uh, animations and the highlight of the session was of course the content, but I showed also showed a web part, uh, where there was a running super Mario all built with CSS animations and CSS script in there, which. <laughs> cost of some treats <laughs> so yeah I, I think i saw those it's like almost like you either do that or cats or pandas and you're pretty much guaranteed to or giraffes now apparently and you're pretty yeah. bound to get some application the, the craft giraffe animated in a in a css web part i haven't done that and i also haven't done the super mario but i found it on the web on, on, on code pen which <laughs> uh I use a lot for inspiration uh, when I'm doing my design and development stuff there. 
So the ability to so, take just CSS and HTML and do that type of stuff just amazes me. That's a skill set that I, I am sure I will never ever understand. <laughs> but but so you know that I want to I want to take a step back. So so why don't you tell our listeners more about yourself? What's your background? I, I, you know, obviously we know your name Stefan, but where are you from? What's your background and how did you how did you learn how to do this crazy stuff using web technologies? Yeah, actually, my name is Stefan Barf. I'm from Austria, Vienna. I run a company which is called N8D um, here in Austria. And I do I focus mostly on user experience design, and but I also have a huge background in development uh, things. And uh, I started actually to develop websites in 1997. Sounds a little bit weird when you think about that. It's more than 20 years ago. And I guess I started to browse the internet in uh, 1995 or something like that. And then I thought to myself, hey, uh, guess what? I'm, I'm curious. How are these websites built? You know? And HTML 3.2 was around this, this time. So we haven't had CSS. And then I started to develop uh, websites. And then I worked in a, in a hospital company in Austria uh, that has 15 hospitals uh, It's a holding. And they actually, they, uh, they, uh, they've searched for someone who do the webmaster job there. So because they haven't had a website and was before the button that bubble burst, I said, yeah, cool. I know how to set up a web server. I know how to run HTML and PHP and JavaScript and CSS at that time. Then I said, okay, I want to be the webmaster master there at my age was 21 at this time. And they told me, no, we want to have you for the technical stuff, but you're a little bit too young to be a webmaster of such a huge holding. So, yeah, so then I joined them and then I started all my work only exclusively maybe on, on, on the web with some exchange administration. And in 2005, I then switched over to uh, SharePoint because uh, my wife told me, you have to come to Vienna because we, three years, we... Uh, always traveled each weekend between my hometown Linz and, and Vienna. And then I said, okay, I take a look. I, I know a company in Vienna that we work together uh, in, in my former company and I said, okay, I want to do SharePoint design. And then I started with SharePoint 2003. And since 2005, I'm in Vienna and do mostly exclusively SharePoint. Um, or did SharePoint uh, at this time for about eight years or something like that. So Farm Solutions, C-Sharp development and all those things in there. So I'm going to interrupt you there. Did you say you actually wanted to do SharePoint design? <laughs> I think you're the first person I've heard who volunteered to do that. Yeah. Especially, I, especially in 2003. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it's always, you know, pushing the limits of something is that's some sort of hacker mentality that i have so actually what what we had at this time we we started in a, in my old company we started a, a intranet which basically was a dashboard where all the information were collected together and then we got a design from their designer and i thought okay nice i have installed the design on shape in 2003 uh but no i can do it a little bit better so then i started to play around with it and actually made the whole website complete 
completely fully branded. So basically what they gave me the default ASPX with a CSS injected. And I said, no, I can do it better. I write a template and replace 160 files in SharePoint 2003 in the server file system, which is a little bit weird when think from a nowadays perspective to do that. But it was the only chance that we had at this time. So yeah. And I thought, yeah, you can do pretty lot of cool stuff with SharePoint and uh, you don't have to bother about things like document libraries, how to lay out lists. So because that's all out of the box. So, and uh, for, to me, it was more like a, a toolbox that I have, you know, because I wrote before PHP scripts that actually were able to display files and things like that. So, or displayed a table is really flat table from a database and it's also okay this is something i can easily do with sharepoint and then i add my css and design on top of it and yeah you can do really cool solutions built with sharepoint yeah and that's why i wanted to do sharepoint design and then i was really lucky when we got the sharepoint 2007 Martin pages and css alternate css and so yeah and so on that topic of design, I, I you know, let's click around on your blog and, and, and actually uh, Chris Kent mentioned a while back when we had him on the show that you have this web part of, for designs, uh, Panthema, am I saying that right? Is the, that's kind of ties into to the themes. Can you describe what that web part is and why you built it? Yeah, uh, actually Panthema, okay. as I call it, but everything is... However, you pronounce it is correct. Well, so, I'm actually, I yeah, yeah. everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Austrian. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. So, <laughs> no. Uh, actually, the idea is uh, I, I have another tool actually that helps you, or that I built really long time ago that actually transform a theme in SharePoint to CSS variables. Because yes, you can use variables in CSS. And then I thought to myself, okay. Now I have the thing and I talk to a lot of people about theming and how what colors are in there. And in SPFX, you have these variables, but you never know which color is exactly this variable in this theme. And then I came up with the idea. So, okay, I just want to display all colors that are available in a theme on a, in a SharePoint web part more something like hey i want to debug a theme and see all the colors and even the css variables there okay so basically it's just an an an, an, an palette that gives you all the information that you need for your development when you write a web part so do I pick the right theme slot? Does it have the right color? Is there, from an accessibility perspective, does it have the right ratio between background and foreground color? Because what you don't want to have, white text and white background, things like that. So and then I thought to myself, uh, I just made, made some small cards just displaying the color. And then I thought to myself, okay, uh, yeah, as a designer, you probably are familiar with Pantone which is a card system that is actually just made for print, where I say, okay, this color is how it looks on print, and then you can reproduce the color in your Adobe Illustrator. And when you have the same Panthema, uh, Pantone color in Illustrator, it actually has the same color on print. And then I thought to myself, okay, let's combine bind this uh, cards together with the theme, and then it's, that's how it ended up with Panthema. So basically, 
it just shows you color cards that you are used in themes and helps you during your development or debugging your um, your themes or even show the customer what colors are currently included in the themes that you deployed to their tenant or so. And that's that's how, the idea behind Panthema. How many colors are in a SharePoint theme then? I can imagine there'd be quite a lot. Um, yeah, so there are quite a lot because you have a main primary color and then there have, this has like at least 10 variants. Then you have error messages and so on. I haven't counted them. And to be honest, uh, this this the number of theme slots that you have in a theme always increases because now you have also the uh, way in SharePoint where you can color a section with a different color and this is an own theme slot in, in the theme definition. But actually the web part is capable. So it, it, there's a JavaScript object that has all the variables in there. And they use this JavaScript variables to display the cards dynamically. So whenever, when something is added to a theme, then it automatically shows in the Panthema web part as well. So, and I haven't counted them, but there are at least 30 or something like that, maybe more. Yeah, so, used for all different scenarios. So with the way this works now, if there was a web designer that rocked up um, that's been building kind of off the SharePoint stack. Are they going yeah. to be fairly comfortable now with SPFX in the way that it's working in terms of deploying design assets in the way they're comfortable with outside of SharePoint? Like I get from a developer perspective now, it's amazing um, that they have the kind of the JavaScript that they can just use. Um, obviously, React is one one of the primary options for writing with it, but there are others you can use if you choose. Um, but it does it feel native for a web designer to get stuck in there and be deploying assets um, as part um, of the SPFX package? It, it depends. From a tooling perspective, it feels absolutely native to, to use this, this kind of tools. But uh, what, what uh, when you see it from a web designer perspective, then there, what, what might be problematic or what you have to catch up with from a web designer perspective is all the uh, special things about uh, SharePoint, how it works, how you create a list and so on and so forth, you know? Uh, the rest APIs are really then natural to 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 a web design web developer and web designer and also when you access for example the graph which is really good because you have an unified API that you can call for all kind of informations like planner tasks and so on and so which feels more natural to the web people out there but um, I mean. Back in the past, we had the problem when we ASP. There, there were companies actually. There were ASP.NET developers, and whenever you were going to, at least from my experience, going to a web develop uh, to ASP.NET developer and ask him, "Hey, do you want to do SharePoint?" I said, "Oh, no, I don't want to do SharePoint. I just want to create mm -hmm. all things by myself." Uh, so there were a specific niche of developers that joined uh, uh, the the SharePoint space. Um, I mean, you have now the possibilities and even with the PMP SPFX generator that I do for the PMP team, use a lot of more tools that regular web developers use. I mean, out of the box, SPFX supports React and the PMP SPFX generator also uh, supports 
um, uh, frameworks like Vue.js and and Angular elements, for example. Yeah, so I guess the, that's what I was also on my list of questions I wanted to ask you is the this generator and and there's been right so the, there's a lot of new stuff for SharePoint devs in the whole stack or the development tool chain as they call it, right? So why? Why is there a, a PNP generator in addition to the one produced by Microsoft? I guess I'll start there, right? Yeah, so uh, basically the Microsoft SharePoint generator that they uh, publish from time to time or at least once a month is is more uh, so the core engine of everything. So they use mostly React, but also support non-framework uh, like just HTML projects, and they also support uh, knockout projects. Uh, and there is all the specifics in there that uh, allows you to write a web part, an extension, and customization for SharePoint. So they have their own APIs in there. They have to have their own schemers in there. And that is basically building the Microsoft SharePoint generator. What the PMP SPFX generator does, and Yeoman actually is an is a uh, is is the, the right model for that the pmp spfx generator takes the microsoft generator and puts some things on top of it right so even when you so when, when it, for example when you take the uh the the microsoft generator and want to use pmp js for all your projects or other tools like Office UI Fabric for all your projects, then you always have to install after the project has been generated. In the PMP SPFX generator, you already can uh, select this during the project creation process. And what you also get in there, for example, you get a configured uh, testing framework, which is currently chest, or you get some more advanced stuff for Asia DevOps. So the uh, uh, continuous integration configuration you already get with the PMP SPFX generator project. Uh, the thing is, the Microsoft generator only addresses the core of the whole SharePoint framework, while you can use this generator and then extend it to more personal needs or even organizational needs. Think about that if a project, uh, if, a, if, if you have some coding standards defined in your organization and what you want to make sure every project follows these coding standards, then you can take the PMP SPFX generator, fork it or download it, download the source code and add your code in there what are specific for your organization. So it, it shows you and, and how you can extend on top of the Microsoft Generate, uh, SharePoint generator. And, and so, uh, so does the, this is kind of a selfish request, right? So it, do the, if the command line parameters that are supported for the Microsoft generator, uh, will those get passed through if we use the PNP generator? Because that's what we do in the Visual Studio extension is we, we, we build up the command line and just pass it in. And I'm just wondering if we could provide an option to bolt in this PNP stuff on top of that, right? So is that... Uh, Maybe we should talk about that offline, but but I, I guess the ability to say right the, this comes up a lot in our in our enterprise customer discussions about what do you do for mm. your teams, right? And so this is a great stuff. And then, uh, um, but now is there is it do I have to customize it or are there things out of the box in this generator that I can that that I can no. use? 
No, the Microsoft Gen. So actually, it it's uh, it's in the Microsoft Generator is installed as a dependency in my generator. So it, there's really one one on one the Microsoft Generator included, and there is also code around it that actually makes it possible to add jQuery for all your new projects. And what you can also do is you pass the default Microsoft CLI parameter in there. And you can add your additional parameter to the PMP SPFX generator, right? Okay. Okay. And so, so where, for example, when you want to have Azure DevOps in all your project, you need you use the PMP SPFX generator uh, and pass in, hey, I want to have Azure DevOps. This is an option that the Microsoft generator is not aware of, and all the other options that you pass in are basically owned by the Microsoft generator. So there, there is from a calling perspective so first your custom pmp spfx generator will be called that passes then the command line arguments down to the microsoft generator that actually does the whole project generation afterwards and and, and now if i want to customize the generation using this can, can i do both pre-processing and post-processing i guess that i guess i i guess there's a need for both right and um I guess what I'm getting at is we have access to the to the generator, then builds up the command line and sends it to to Microsoft. And then when Microsoft is done, we can add additional items on top of it, right? Or modify the files yeah, in the generator. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That that's how it works. So you always so first you create a, a Microsoft project, a one one hundred percent native Microsoft Chapman generator project. And then on top, you add some additional configurations, add some additional dependencies that you have in there, jQuery, Office UI Fabric, PMP.js, uh, the Craft Toolkit, for example. <laughs> uh, and and this is all done post-processing of the project. And so how, how much usage have you been getting there? Like, Do you guys measure telemetry on that kind of open source generator to see what's going on or have you taken many contributions on that repo yeah i'm always fascinated by the sharepoint community and um how much they do give back and you know to borrow versus sharing is caring word um, <laughs> it's just intriguing to see with this particular project what kind of traction it's getting yeah so actually we uh i mean in the beginning when we had angular pro uh, angular elements and vue.js there were a lot of traction to these new frameworks and they are still on top of the list of used frameworks mm -hmm. but what do you have as a default frame framework to use in for uh, the sharepoint uh, projects or what what most people use these days is is react uh, and so once we added the react to to have more support in the pmp spfx generator then really catched up. So we have now 60% React projects, and then we have 25% or something like that Angular projects generated. And a lot of installations out there. Wow, okay. Um, and, yeah. and you mentioned the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, which is something that we announced at Build. I'm intrigued yeah. by your opinion on this, um, which could go either way. But, um, you know, I always respect <laughs> the fact that, you know, you've always had a good... Um, objective eye from the perspective of coming from a design like although you have been a SharePoint designer for, since 2003 which is don't call me SharePoint designer yeah right um, I, I still treat you as a true web designer in the way that you talk about all the, the latest web technologies at conferences and I've personally learned a lot from you at various conferences where you talked about SaaS and different things Thank so you. what's your take on 
the the graph toolkit from what you saw at build and um i know nicola just presented in the uh sharepoint community call one of uh vases calls that he does yeah uh i mean yeah web components is from my perspective the way to go in the future when you have something available on all the platforms because it's a web standard it's not something that is yeah i i I write my web part or my component in React.js or Vue.js, so it's really a na native web standard. So you can basically put it on every HTML page that doesn't have any JavaScript in there. You just put in in the in the uh, the web component, which is great because this gives you a lot of possibilities to use it basically in an Angular project, in a Vue.js project. So that that's basically something that the, the web is currently aiming for with web components to something like the ASP.NET web controls or something like some way. So I really appreciate that, that the craft team actually did build web components and not something um, that is limited uh, just for React. So, or just for Vue.js or just for Angular elements uh, because it, it, it gives you so, so the range of these components or this toolkit is way broader than uh, just I want to have these connections in my Office 365 tenant. So you can basically add it to any uh, corporate application that is running out there that is not running on SharePoint and runs on an ASP.NET or ASP.NET Core or whatever. So it's really a great way to do uh, such a toolkit so to make it generic available for a lot of, uh, for the complete web platform, basically. That's awesome. And so I, it's good to hear that. And in the internal kind of positioning where Nicola, who actually is in a different part of organization within Microsoft called PAX, and he'd shipped the UWP toolkit the year before um, along the same lines of providing additional controls that UWP developers could use that connected straight to the graph and took away a lot of the binding mechanisms and so forth. And so this graph yeah. toolkit is really kind of the same thing for web developers. But when he kind of originally came to us, uh, I I was kind of familiar with web components, but I wasn't completely sure where the balance was externally from a, a positioning perspective, because although it is a standard, it is owned by or had, was founded by Google, I believe. Um, yeah, it, it 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 was first introduced by Google. Like, so basically, in the W3C, the major player that are sitting in the in the web consortium, do some proposals. Like for web components, was for example Google, CSS Grid, for example, was Microsoft, uh, and to have this as a web standard, and and it's really uh, good that they have despite all their businesses and all their, so that they really bring them some new fresh ideas to the web consortium that will then become web standards. Uh, it's, it's really great. And in the end, I guess nobody knows who actually introduced which yeah, web yeah. technology. And is your opinion like when they become that kind of web standard through those consortiums that really it has a life of its own, regardless of whether like the forming company, whether it's Google and Facebook React or Microsoft with CSS Grid, you, you feel that that 
isn't as much of a concern once they do become standards. Yeah, when 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 it's it's a standard, so there there's the whole web community out there. So there's the what WG uh, group that is the uh, what uh, the working uh, the HTML working group, and that take care of the standard to push them forward. And basically, what what we won't see in future anymore is that we get some new HTML elements. So. Basically, when you want to extend the, uh, the, the 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 webs, the components that you have in there, then you have also go to web components because from a from a design and architectural perspective, the HTML standard is is completely complete now with the components that you have. And web components, on the other hand, for example, when you take the video player, which is now a native HTML element. It is implemented in Google Chrome and in Firefox and in Safari as a web component. So it has some diffs in there and and uh, they actually use it and you see web components all over the web, it, even if you don't know that there are web components in there. So, yeah. And so the... Obviously, with Nicola talking to the, the SharePoint developer call, I guess the goal is to help bring this back into what we're using as part of Office 365. Have you have you tried that yet? Have you kicked the tires or, or do you have any personal experience with that? I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, what's your practical hands-on experience been good? Is it going to work for us? Um, I haven't tried it now in, uh, because it was just announced in the build and I haven't had time to check it out, how it works in, in, in SharePoint Framework. What I know is there is some probably potentially something like with the connection, which is MS ADL right now uh, for, the, for the web components or for the graph toolkit. Uh, and we have already a graph context in the SharePoint Framework web parts when we want to have and so you have to make the connection a little bit different. And I haven't digged into that, how you make the connection for the web component to the graph possible in, in, in the SharePoint Framework project. Yeah, it's actually really neat. There's, there's basically one line of code uh, for the, the graph toolkit provider. And the provider, there's a SharePoint provider. And it, the provider works out where the, the graph client is within the SPFX um, code base. And, yeah. and so you'd actually don't have to wire up anything. And then it just goes back to that single line of code to kind of have a, a persona card on the page or, a um, you know, a list of planner tasks or a list of events. And, you know, there's some default templates that will just render that and call the graph. And you just have to make sure that the SPFX has permissions to whatever you're going to go access. So the usual Microsoft graph client, um, approach of going into the SharePoint admin center and declaring what permissions you need um, on SPFX and have those approved. So um, it's, it's a pretty pretty neat experience. If you like, I was doing one on stage, which uh, another guy in PAX Mike had written, uh, which was a um, uh, a view project, and the same control code and template. I just copied and pasted and put into a new SPFX web part and it just worked. So there wasn't any kind of like plumbing or anything that needed to be added other than the changing the provider from being just a static, I'm grabbing it from MSAL to 
I'm grabbing this whole thing from the SPFX graph client. So it's pr pretty cool how Nicola's done that. And it works similar in other providers as well. It's not just SPFX and MCEL that they've supported. There's a few other places you can drop it into. And, and so continuing my role yeah. as the stupid person on the web, on the podcast, right? So no, is this something <laughs> that, right? So the PNP generator could be extended to include the Microsoft Graph Toolkit as part of a, like my corporate standard, if that's what I wanted to do. Am I understanding all that right? Uh, yeah. You uh, Basically, we have, uh, so inside the PNP SPFX generator, there's another generator which is hidden from all the people, which is the add-on generator. And this is actually, uh, what, what this actually does, it just makes sure that you have the dependencies installed like jQuery, PMPJS, Craft Toolkit, and so on. So basically, it's just one entry in the JSON uh, configuration of this generator to make the Craft Toolkit available. Oh, that's sweet. Which... That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and also, there are tools in there to keep them up to date. So... <laughs> All right, so, so we'll see. Uh, try it out and, and then add it to the generator, probably. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> We've given you more work and you thought you were coming on here to talk about talk about the stuff. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. If it's just the, to add this JSON entry, that's not really a big deal. <laughs> because the usage then is, is up to the people to set them up. So what, what do we do with Vue.js? We, we just install a Vue component in there or AngularM and so we add to Webroad and Angular Elements component in there, but we don't do really extensive code injection because that's then up to the developer to add the craft toolkit and make it working in their, in their code, in their solution. We just provide the base layout so that you have all the tools at hand uh, when you start a new project. Yeah. All right, so that, and, that's all great stuff and appreciate the the effort you put into the community obviously uh it's a labor of love in many cases for people and so thank you very much for doing all that that's great stuff is there anything else that uh you'd like to get out to message you get out to folks and, and also where can people find you uh on the social channels yeah uh, on the social channels it's uh twitter.com slash stf b-a-u-e-r which is my twitter handle or you can visit me on my blog which is uh, n8d.at slash blog um, and or LinkedIn, Stefan Bauer or Facebook if you want to connect with me. Are you a hockey yeah. player, Stefan? I can't remember who you are or not. Yeah, I am. I started to play hockey at the age of 27 and I still love it. <laughs> so in Vienna, is it a big thing there or? Yeah, I guess we have 48 clubs that are playing ice hockey. So we have Four wow. leagues, if I'm not mistaken, with all over 10 teams. I really need and to then, rent some ice yeah. time for the MVP Summit next year, I think. There's enough of us that play that it would be worthwhile. We yeah. might even get Paul out there with a, a ice Zimmer frame or something. <laughs> but, um, well, so the being in the ice rink will keep my margarita cold, so I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> No, the cool thing about ice hockey is it's just a, a, a really nice outdoor. So in winter, actually, I play outdoor ice hockey, oh, like wow. not 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 inside. So it's really nice when it has minus 10 degree outside and then you're playing ice hockey on the ice and it, there's wind blowing. So it's getting really cool down there. Uh, but 
I, I love this. This is the best sport I ever tried out, and I, I won't. Ooh. I would have missed something if I never have tried it out. Yeah, I, yeah. I skated on a pond for the first time a few years ago, um, and it was just incredible. Like, just so different to skate on that versus just being in a rink. But I didn't didn't get to play hockey. I didn't take my uh, full gear with me. I just had my skates. I was up in Toronto, but um, yeah, we'll definitely get something arranged next time you're in town, and we'll get some ice time. That would be really cool. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of people here that will gladly join if I uh, book the one near my house, which is awesome. Well, look, um, I... we, we're up on the time here, and so I, I really just want to say thank you for joining and, and sharing your opinions on things. And as Paul said, like the con- community contributions are amazing, and you've been doing this for a long time now. And um, I remember like kind of following you pre-MVP where you just did this stuff and um, blogged and blogged and blogged. And so it was great to see you become an MVP and then, you know, to be part thank of you. the PMP thing as much as you are as well is just testament to kind of what you do to give back. And so I just want to say from again, my side and I guess representing Microsoft, thanks so much for doing that because it does make a huge difference to how we get our stuff adopted um, in the marketplace. So thank you. And um, with that, Paul, do you want to, anything else you want to add? Nope. Just again, thanks again. It's uh, great to chat and sorry we didn't connect in person, but uh, this worked out great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Well, thanks thank again. Thank you for having me. And- no, you're welcome, mate. And for people listening, we are going to get Nicola on the show um, to talk about the graph toolkit in the future. He's traveling at the moment with some of the Dev Insider tours that I know I've mentioned um, in the intros of the podcast. And so if you are uh, looking for some content presented by a bunch of Microsoft developer speakers, um, please check out that Microsoft Dev Insider tour. Um, there's, I think, 40 different events around the globe that are free that you can attend. And um, Nicola has ensured that, <clears throat> excuse me, that he will be dressed in his giraffe uh, out- outfit for the keynote. So it'll be worth seeing that alone, let alone seeing what he'll be demoing with all the web components and so forth. But um, again, thanks so much, Stefan, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 